chapter 4 this morning. I'm going to read last week's passage, 1 through 12, though my desire is unpack uh, verse 12. I mentioned it at Sunday school. For anybody that has children, that will come tonight. I don't know if anybody can talk to the Fishers. I don't want to horrify Miss Fisher. Um, we're in Ezekiel chapter 23. It's uh, If you read it, you'll see why I think, perhaps as you feel led to make your determination regarding whether you want your children to hear me read that portion of God's Word. If they were my kids, they'd be hearing it, but that's another thing. Okay, Acts 4, verse 1, God's Word. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them. They put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and their elders and their scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all who were of high priestly descent. When they placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is no salvation. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would guide me, thou my great Jehovah, and that the words of my sermon would be the words of your scripture. All silliness and error would be far away, and your people who are purchased by your blood and called by your name, Jesus Christ, would be built up in their salvation by your word. Shape us into the image of the beloved Father. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. My desire, as I mentioned, we just read last week's text, is to really unpack Verse 12, there's salvation no one else. There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I want So this is the theme is salvation only in Christ, obviously. And I want to give a little bit of the context of what we're looking at. And the servants of Jesus Christ that we have before us are Peter and John. <clears throat> They've been arrested by the Jewish leadership. They've been brought to give an account of themselves before the Jewish Supreme Court, which is the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin consists of the high priest and then 70 elders. And then the text tells us that there are other men present as well. So this is an ecclesiastical trial, a religious trial. And Peter and John have been busy preaching Christ in Jerusalem. And the previous text tells us that the people, the the religious leaders, they're greatly grieved at the preaching of Jesus. I, I, I want you to think of that. These are the people responsible for the old church, as it were. And they hear the preaching of Jesus, and they are greatly cut to the heart. They're grieved. It brings them sorrow to hear that there's salvation in no other name, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a sad thing. And so the content of 
Peter and John's preaching. When I say preaching Christ, the content of their preaching Christ is something like this. And we, we see it in this passage. It's represented by Jesus the Nazarene, who was alive. And a number of times we're told that this is the one that has died, even the one who has been crucified. So they're, they've been busy pre- preaching a Christ crucified. This is a First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Galatians verse 6. Glorying in the cross of Jesus, which is a, a summary word to denote the whole of the, the sin atoning sacrifice of Jesus. So they've been preaching that Jesus Christ has died for sins on a Roman cross. They've inculcated the Jews as putting him on that Roman cross. They've said that he has died. He's been buried. And that God the Father, and we know that the Bible will talk about the Father, the Spirit, and the Son having a part in rising Jesus. But God the Father rises Jesus or raises Jesus from the dead to attest to the fact, to the Jews, that this Jesus of Nazareth, that this is the Messiah. And if you have been with us in the previous sermons, the Apostle Peter has been keen to use Old Testament text, and, and he keeps applying them to Jesus. He, he, he's been pre- busy preaching Joel 2, 28 through 30, is being fulfilled. It's pointing to Jesus as the Christ. And then he's used uh, Psalm 16, I think verse 10 or 11, uh, that that God's righteous one will not suffer decay. And he points and says, Jesus is the fulfillment of Joel 2. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 16. And then previously, and most previously, he's used Jesus is the fulfillment of uh, Psalm 110. And then he said this stone that the builders have rejected, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the leadership and the Jews, he is the fulfillment of Psalm 118. It's Jesus. And then he is the Messiah, the one promised to Israel from long ago. That's the content of the sermons that these men have been delivering. What's happened most immediately to get these fellows arrested by the church leadership, as it were, what's triggered the arrest by the Jewish leadership is the healing of the lame man. You remember him. We looked at him last week. This is the fellow that was born lame, I believe, um, from birth. He couldn't walk. He's at the the gate, beautiful. He thinks he's going to get some silver or gold, some money from the apostles. And they say, we don't have any money, but what we have, we're going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, live, stand, rise, walk. And so the lame man jumps up. And so what's happened is a, a tremendous miracle has occurred in their midst. These fellows that arrest him, they can't deny it. They can't explain it away. They can't pervert it. It's happened. It's kind of like Lazarus in John 11. Everyone knew that he was dead for four days. Everyone knew he was in the grave. Everyone that was there saw him come out of the grave. They can't explain it away. That's what's happening. And so because this great miracle has occurred, it grieves these particular men that this man who was lame has now been healed in the name of Jesus Christ. So the the Jewish leaders can't let that miracle go unchallenged. And what what do I mean when I say they can't let that miracle go unchallenged? If they permit, what they're thinking is, if we permit the servants of Jesus to keep preaching this crucified, this risen, this powerful Christ, if they allow them to keep preaching that Jesus, then what will happen to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin? All their power all their prestige, their position, their place. This is a John 11. This is, the high priest says, 
well, what, it's, it's expedient for one man to die for the nation. Why should we lose our place? What we'll do is we'll kill Jesus and keep our place. And so what these men think is we need to stop these men preaching Jesus because if they keep preaching Jesus, what's going to happen to us? We won't have any place. What will happen to our money? What will happen to our power? What will happen to our prestige? It's going to be gone. These are the, this, is, this is the leadership of the church, as it were. This is church leaders who would rather see a man lame than a man healed. They would rather keep their power or their prestige or their honor than people who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What does the Bible say in the book of Lamentations? How the gold has become what? Dim. That's these fellows. Imagine that. They're the leaders. I'd rather you go blind than you be healed by the name of Jesus. I'd rather you never walk than be healed in the name of Jesus. I'd rather you live and die and go to hell than hear that Jesus saves sinners. Why? Because I get to keep my place. I make a lot of money. It's a great gig. It, 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 it is, it's a tremendous It's a, trend, a tremendous indicting of the leadership of, of the church. So it's a sad commentary on the leaders of the church. And so they call Peter and John to give an account of the miracle before them. And the Holy Spirit in our passage is recording the interchange. Um, as Peter does in Matthew chapter 16, he takes the place of the spokesman. He tells the people, Peter does, that it wasn't Peter, it wasn't John that healed the lame man. No mere man, and I'm not talking about a doctor using medicine or those kind of things. No mere man can heal a man born lame from birth or heal a man born blind from birth. No mere man can raise the dead. No mere man can make blind people see. No mere man can cast out demons. And Peter says, it's, it's not us. We, we did not do this. Later, what we're going to see him is switch from the lesser to the greater of the argument. He's going to go from the healing to the saving. He's saying, we didn't heal. And then the argument is going to be, and we don't save. The church doesn't heal. The church ministers don't heal. And the church doesn't save. And the ministers don't save. He's going to say, and Jesus saves. And so he's been testifying all along, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's getting him in a bind. He says, no mere man can do this. He's going to point to the one who does it. It's Christ who does this. He's teaching us that Christ was alive. Christ was dead, but he's alive. And Jesus Christ is not a mere man, is what he's testifying. That Jesus has powers or abilities beyond that of a mere man, because he's Emmanuel, because he's God with us. As our creator and sustainer and redeemer, he can restore the legs and the ankles and the eyes, and he can save. That's going to be the argument that the Apostle Peter will um, use. And I, I want you to think of something here. When he's testifying to this Jesus that heals this lame man, um, the high priestly class is of the Sadducee party. And it, it's interesting to, to know a little bit about what the Sadducees believed and didn't believe and why they're so upset with Peter and John preaching Jesus, Jesus healing a man, Jesus being risen from the dead, and that those who believe in Jesus will likewise rise from the, de the dead. The Sadducees were the priestly class. They governed the temple. The Pharisees governed the synagogue. They, were different, they had different uh, beliefs, although they were unified in their hatred of, of Christ. But the, Saris, the Sadducees said 
They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe the rest of the Bible was the inspired word of God. And the Sadducees were also something of deists. They didn't believe that God was intimate in the day-to-day affairs of man. They didn't believe that God intruded himself in the daily life of human beings. And now the Apostle Peter says, And God come in the flesh has looked down on this poor lame man, and he's healed them. That is directly against the teaching of the Sadducees. And these guys are the leaders of religion. And here comes a fisherman and says, essentially what? They're wrong, and we are right. God does intrude into the affairs of men. God is intimate with his creation. God does love the broken uh, in body. God does love uh, fallen sinners. And he shows it to us in the person of Christ. And one of the things that also got them into a jam with the Sadducees, Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And they thought, after you die, that's it. So eat, drink, and be merry, die, and then nothing. And, and what, are, what are Peter and John saying? You kill Jesus, and Jesus is alive. Read Romans chapter 1, uh, Revelation chapter 1. I was a do- uh, dead, and I'm alive forevermore. The resurrection is absolutely vital to the gospel. We do not serve a dead Savior. It's, it's not like Buddha, not like Muhammad, who are in the grave or, or, or worse. We serve a risen Lord Jesus Christ. The Sadducees are wrong. There is life after death. They are wrong. We will be raised from the dead. Jesus was raised. And, and how offensive it must have been for these men who are unschooled. I don't say untaught. I do say unschooled. They don't have any letters after their name. To stand up in front of the high priest who says to the people, you know what? This life is all that there is. And they run the church, as it were. Imagine a minister saying, just live a good life. The best you can hope for is live a good life, and after life, whatever. You go in the ground. But live a good life, because there's nothing after this life. And they're the teachers in religion. And the apostle Peter comes along and says, that's not true. There is a life after death. There is the resurrection from the dead. And there's going to be two resurrections, one unto everlasting life and one unto everlasting death. And and I do want you to see something. Not only does he say that they're wrong, that God, they were something of deist. God does care. God does intrude himself into the lives of people. But but they're wrong on salvation. And that's, that's the argument that he's going to move from God in Christ heals and God in Christ saves. That these men are utterly wrong. You remember Jesus. These are the men that try to catch Jesus in that trap. They say, so uh, a man has a girl and he dies and the brother and the brother and the brother and the brother. It's the Leverite marriage. And then they're trying to mock the resurrection of the dead and life after death. They're mocking it to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to the Sadducees? High priests, you don't know the Bible, nor do you know God. These are the people that sit in the seat of Moses They are responsible before God to lead people on the path, to open the doorway to heaven, to show them God in Christ. And what do they do? They shut the very doors in their face. I'm going to teach you something, beloved. People that are not on the way to heaven try to stop people from going to heaven. That's these people. So they call the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, and they call them to an account. And Peter's argument, as I say, is the lesser to the greater. He's going to move from the healing of this man by Jesus 
to Jesus being the one that saves sinners. And when I say healing, moving to saving, I do want you to think of miracles in general. I've mentioned before, if you've been to miracle services, I used to hang out with lots of Pentecostals. You go to miracle services, you can watch on the internet, supposing miracles. When you look at a Bible miracle, particularly in the Gospels or the Epistles, those miracles are for a purpose, and they're directly tied to Jesus. And they're tied to Jesus for a particular reason. Think of when, um, remember Jesus raises the, the 12-year-old girl from the dead, and then hands back that little girl, Talitha Kum, I think it means little lammy, rise. He hands back the little girl, uh, the dead um, man uh, from the widows uh, from Nain, John 9, gives her back to, his, to, the, to the mother. Um, he feeds 5,000 men with a few fish and a few loaves, those kind of miracles. All of those miracles show us that our God in Christ is touched with the infirmities of people, that he cares about the brokenness of people. But when Jesus does those physical, temporal kindnesses, those miracles, it's all for the purpose of testifying of something greater, that he is the savior of sinners. You remember the, the fellow that they let down from the ceiling on the, on the pallet? He couldn't walk. And Jesus says, um, arise and walk, your sins are forgiven. And the, the Pharisees say, who is this man, Jesus, that forgives sins? It's this man. It's verse 12. But he says, to show you that I can do the greater, forgive sins, watch this, get up and walk. The signs, the physical kindnesses and mercies attest to something greater. Jesus, who is God come in the flesh, can heal broken bodies. Jesus, who is God come in the flesh, can heal broken hearts, can heal broken relationships, and he can save sinners from the wrath of God and for heaven. That's the argument. And I want us to see something. When I say it's the lesser to the greater argument, I would argue that natural man thinks the exact opposite. You could get millions of people to follow Jesus if, if it was Jesus that would just heal cripples and, and restore sight and give you a free meal. Millions of people. But the moment Jesus says, I'm not here fundamentally to heal lame people, I am here fundamentally to save sinners from going to hell and for heaven by my blood sacrifice. That's what I'm here for. The Hosannas will go from Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify him. This is a John chapter 6. Am I not right with that? If all of a sudden Jesus was here and said, I can heal the sick, raise the dead, give you free food. How many religions would there be if that's what Jesus was busy doing? None. Just one. But the moment Jesus says, those things testify to my real purpose. My real purpose is to die for sins and rise for justification. And natural man says, what? I don't want saving from my sin. I want saving from my misery so that I can enjoy my sin. I don't want salvation from my sin. And Jesus has come and told us, I'm here to save sinners. So that's kind of the context of what, what's been going on. Our purpose is to look at what Jesus is, what Jesus brings in this, this salvation that we're we're looking at. There's salvation and, and no other. Um, I want us to see that Jesus Himself does say that His purpose is to seek and to save the lost. I do want us to, to 
to kind of unpack that idea of saved or salvation. It's going to be a very basic message. If you are not raised in a Bible Christian home, I was not raised in a Bible Christian home, to hear salvation or saved, be saved, saved from the wrath of God to come. Uh, Luke 13, are there few that are saved? To hear that language in certain Christian circles is very foreign. Um, I went a whole lifetime, really, without hearing that idea of saved. Are there few that are saved? Are there many that are saved? Is it easy to be saved? Is it hard to be saved? Saved. And we would mock the born-agains. Oh, you born-agains are talking about being saved. Oh, beloved, don't mock being born again. Jesus says you must be born again. You must be saved. Uh, And that's what we're looking at here. And so even at the naming, uh, uh, God's holy angel told Joseph, in the naming of Jesus, it's tied to what we're looking at in verse 12. And you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Finish it. You shall call his name Jesus because he shall what? He shall save his people from their what? Sins. This is a super... Verse 12. There are lots of things that we can debate as Christians. Lots. And we debate everything in Christianity. Do we, do we not? We debate ad nauseum. But beloved... There must be hard edges to our theology. There must be a point beyond which we have departed from orthodoxy and we've entered into heterodoxy or apostasy. And verse 12 is it. Those people who believe in verse 12, they are Christians. Those people who deny verse 12 are not Christians, no matter what they say. Does that make sense? And so we're looking at that. The Bible says, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Remember the wee little man? What was the weak little man's name? Zacchaeus. So he's a, a tax collector, right? Tax collectors are not very well liked. They're Jews who are working for the Romans. It's like the Vichy France. It's like the French working for the Nazis. After the, after the Allies rolled in, see what they did to the, the French that played ball with the Nazis. It wasn't cute. And so here we have the Jews playing ball with the Romans to extort money out of their fellow Jews. They were hated. And Jesus comes preaching to seek and to save the lost sinners like a publican, like a tax collector, like the Vichy France working with the Nazis. He's come to save them. The Jews weren't very pleased with that. But here's what the Bible tells us. Jesus tells us about that wee little man Zacchaeus. Luke 19. When they saw it, that's Jesus eating with Zacchaeus. They begin to grumble. They don't want Jesus to save this sinner. He has gone to be the guest of this man who is a sinner. Are they right? Is this man a sinner? Oh yeah, he is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I I will give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, what has come to your house? Salvation. Salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus says in Matthew 20, For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's verse 12. That's verse 12. There is salvation in no other. 
Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save lost sinners. And that, that is, that is the, the baseline standard of what it means to be a true Christian. Beyond belief in that, you're not a true Christian. No matter what you may say. Can we go to churches right now? Beautiful buildings that will deny the truth of verse 12. Oh, you can go to heaven by being a Buddhist or a Muslim. You could be the good this or good that. Certainly it's not the blood sacrifice of Jesus. It's not this, says the rector, says the pastor, says the priest. Beloved, they have a name that they live, but they're dead. They're, they're, it's not true Christianity. The apostle Peter is being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, this is it. This is the essence. And we can't move off it. This isn't, this isn't church government. This is not baptism. It's not a debate on sacraments. It's none of it. This is, this is biblical salvation and a biblical savior. And it's only Christ. Underline only. And God says it clear, clear as a bell. Now, what does it mean? And you may think, well, what do you mean? What does it mean to be saved? I, I promise I'm not being silly. I'm not being silly. For everyone in the church, we, we know the answer. But I guarantee you, if you know the, the answer, I guarantee you there's someone in your family that doesn't know the answer. I guarantee you there is someone that connected to you that if you called them today and says, and you ask them this question, what does it mean to be saved? What is the salvation that Christians talk about? Go ahead and, and see what happens. Well, saved from depression, saved from being poor, saved from having a broken body. That, 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 that's what it means. Look at your Bibles. Look at Acts 2.29. 2.19 Repent and return so that your what may be forgiven? Your sins. Look at Acts 3.26 Turn from your what? Turn from your wicked ways. What human beings need for which we have provision made in Jesus Christ it's, it's our sin. We read from the catechism in Adam's fall, we, we, we sinned and fell all. I mean, man's great problem is, is a sin problem. It's not, if you, if you, again, if you quiz your friends and your relatives, what's your greatest problem? That stinking wife I'm married to, that stinking husband, that stinking kids, the stinking folks, the stinking job, my stinking health, fill in the blank. Natural people think that things are the problem. Oh, th- things are not the problem. A bad marriage is not your problem. If you have a bad marriage, I feel sorry for you and you should pray and I hope you get a good marriage, but bad marriage is not the problem. If you're sick as a dog, it stinks being sick as a dog. I'm feeling your pain. But being sick is not the problem. And if you're poor as a church mouse, that's not your problem. Jesus has not come to make people wealthy who are poor. Jesus has not come to make people healthy who are sick. That's not why Jesus came. And that's not the main problem. The main problem is that sin problem. And that's why we read the catechism. So this salvation is salvation in reference to sin. And everyone has this problem. Everyone has this problem. When Adam sinned against God, it plunged all mankind into a state of sin and misery. 
we lost original righteousness, our, our corruption, it's conveyed to us by ordinary generation, everything about us. This is the T in total depravity, which is why it has to be all Jesus. This is salvation 100% in Jesus because we are 100% depraved. We're completely fallen in our sin. We hate God. We love our sin. We're bound to the devil. And then God says, but God in Christ will save. And that's man. And so Peter comes along preaching that message. We're being saved from our sins by this Jesus. When I say all people have this problem, when you're poor, you envy the rich. When you're poor, you look down on the rich. When you're a person who is a subject, you look down on the people that's a ruler. This is true. Everybody loves to hate people in in power. They're so easy to shoot at. Uh, We're not the high and the mighty. They're they're all dirtbags, and we're better than them. Beloved, pick the richest guy you know. He has the same problem that you as the poorest guy you know. You have the same problem. It's a sin problem. And when, we're, when Peter comes along and says, Jesus has come to save sinners, I want you to see the, the entity to which he's preaching that message. And this is important. This gets me in a jam. Where is he preaching it? He's not in Provincetown. He's not in, in San Francisco. Where is he? He's in the church. He stands up in front of the high priest and says, you're part of the people that need saving. Are you serious? Standing up to a guy who runs the church, in the church, the visible household of faith, word, sacrament, and Peter has the audacity to say, Jesus saves sinners like you. What do you mean I'm a sinner? I'm a Jew. This is what they would say. They would say, I'm Jew. I'm not a Gentile. What do you mean I'm a sinner? What do you mean I'm a sinner? <laughs> I'm a Sadducee. I'm the leader of the Sanhedrin. Read John 7. This laity, this rabble, they know nothing. And Peter says, oh no, it's you. I'm going to say something, beloved. Black, white, rich, poor, male, female, Republican, Democrat, take you pick. Apart from God in Christ, we have that sin problem. And, and, And when God talks about saving us from our sins by the Lord Jesus Christ, unless people have the Bible, Unless people see themselves as God sees them, none of this makes sense. None of this makes sense. If, you, if we do not see the predicament that we are in as fallen sinners before God, then Savior Christ won't make any sense. What do I mean by that? Human beings compare themselves to other human beings. I did it. You did it. You meet the unbeliever and say, well, you need Jesus. You are a sinner. And what are they going to say? I'm better than you. I'm in my first marriage. You're in your fourth marriage. What are we going to say? The standard isn't us. When the Christian kids used to witness Christ to me on the campus, I would say to them, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not Hitler. Here's the jam. The standard is not Hitler. The standard's God. This, this talk of salvation forces us to see ourselves as God sees us, as the Bible says. If we do not see what we are, as the Bible says, the, the salvation of Jesus Christ will make no sense. And so the Apostle Peter comes along and says, the Bible says that you are fallen. The Bible says these things. And only Christ is the Savior from your sins. That, that's his point. 
So we, we need salvation because of our sin problem. And salvation does two things fundamentally. It saves us from something bad and it saves us for something good. This is what salvation is. And the salvation from some, for something good is heaven. And R.C. Sproul jokes about his son when he asked his son where we, when he was little, will you go to heaven when you die? And the little son said, yes, I will. And he said, why will you go to heaven when you die? And the little son said, because I'm dead. And R.C. Sproul joked and said, that's justification by death. Beloved, I'm going to share something with you. Little kids are not the only ones that say that. 99% of the planet, of the planet, of professing Christians could look at a card-carrying heathen, but if they're attached to you and they're dead, guess where you're going to put them? In heaven. They're saved because you love them. They're saved because they have your name. They're saved because they're dead. That's not true. That is not true. There's only salvation in Christ. It's not salvation by mama. It's not salvation by daddy. None of it. That's not true. So even we in Bible, we make salvation to be something easy. We put people in heaven. We don't put anybody in heaven. Only Christ procures heaven. So we're saved. When we talk about being saved, we're saved for heaven to have the immediate friendly presence of God. And the salvation is from something bad, which is obviously what? Saved from the wrath of God to what? Come. Who will receive hell? Remember my example of Hitler? The only people I thought were in hell as a college kid were Hitler and two guys named maybe Mao Zedong or something like that. They're in hell. Uh, Paul Pot, he's in hell. Guys like that. Stalin, they go to hell. Everybody else, I thought, goes to heaven. That's not the, that's not the Bible. Are there few that are saved? Yes. Yes. In relationship to those who are being lost. And so we're, when we talk about being saved as Christians, we mean saved for heaven and saved from hell. And I, I do want us to think of this. We are the saved. We here believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved for God, from hell. But salvation does more than just for and from. I want us to think of this, what I'm getting at. The salvation that we have in Jesus Christ does something radically to us. I heard a person say one time something like this. As the saved, as those who believe in Jesus, we're just saved, but we're like everybody else. That's not true. For people that believe, in verse 12, you who believe in Jesus, let me tell you what salvation means. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but now in Christ Jesus, what are you? You're alive. God in Christ has made you alive. You're spiritually alive. So salvation is literally life from death. Salvation is literally the first resurrection. So we think, what is this that God gives me? He gives us life out of the death. And then positionally, this salvation brings us a new standing before God. Before we came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, before God, what were all all of us in this room? Before we believed in Jesus, what were we before God? Guilty. Guilty, guilty. Now what are you as a believer? You are justified. We have our regeneration in Jesus. We're born again. We have our new life. Part of that salvation is your justification. You have all of the righteousness of Jesus imputed to you, received by the gift of faith. All of it. 
You're as righteous as the Apostle Paul. You have the righteousness of Jesus. You're no longer a guilty criminal. You're a holy saint. And part of that salvation is not just your justification that happens to you positionally, but practically. Salvation. You are being changed right now. You're being conformed into the image of Jesus. Your progressive sanctification is part of your salvation. You're dying to sin. You're you're being conformed into righteousness. That's this. And I mentioned it in Sunday school. Our salvation that Jesus Christ purchases that you possess as a believer will crescendo in glory. You will be glorified. Our salvation runs from, from our eternal election to our regeneration, to the effectual calling, to our justification, to our adoption, to our progressive sanctification, clear through to our glorification. And the Bible says we have all of this in Jesus Christ, all of it. He's done it all. And he says, and no other name. I want to say something to you that you already know. This is what we have for those of us who believe in Jesus. There, there, there are so many objections to this. One of the obvious objections to verse 12 is, what about, what about all the other religions in the world? And what about the people that are devout and good people? What about those people? Can they not be saved by their following their other gods and the dictates of their religion? Can they, can they be saved? What, what's the answer, beloved? From verse 12. Read verse 12 for yourself. Will Muhammad save you? Will Buddha save you? Will Sai Baba save you? Will the Virgin Mary save you? Will St. Patrick save you? No. Well, that's, that's pretty narrow. That's pretty exclusive. And what do you say to that? It's true. It's true. Why does it Muhammad or Sai Baba or any of these other, why do they not procure what Christ has procured? Because they're not the fit Savior. Only Jesus is God come in the flesh. Only Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God. Only Jesus has died. Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, what's going on? He takes the wrath of God for our sins. None of these other saviors, so-called, did that. Only Christ. But he's done it. And so when someone says, and they're trying to get you to say, no, I, 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 I guess you can. You can't. It's only in Jesus Christ. And I, I want to cl- close with this. The gift that we have, the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ has purchased, it is the greatest gift that we could ever possess. But I, I know something because I know a little bit about myself. I, I don't acknowledge a fraction of the blessedness of the salvation I have in Jesus. Imagine when we get into heaven and we see, see the benefits that Jesus has procured for us. It will blow our minds. We would live lives so infinitely higher right now if we were to comprehend 
all of the blessings that we have in Jesus as salvation when we cross over to the other side. Am I right with that? I listened to a, an interview by a, newsca- by a sports figure of a newscaster. And the sports figure said to the newscaster, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And the person said indignantly, no, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. And, and the, the sportsman said to the newscaster, why not? And the newsman said, because I'm not 10 years old. You see what he's getting at. People that believe in Jesus are like kids. They believe in a fable. But I'm going to, I'm going to tell, tell, tell you something. He doesn't acknowledge the need of Christ, the blessing of Christ, the salvation in Christ, principally because he doesn't acknowledge the sin problem. But I'm going to tell you something else. He doesn't see the usefulness of Christ and the salvation Christ brings now. Now. Do you know when you really, really, really see the usefulness of health and you really, really, really pray for health when you don't have it anymore? Same thing with wealth. I would argue this, beloved. For all of the people that think, oh, pastor, salvation, wah, 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 salvation from sin, salvation for God and from hell, justification, sanctification, wah, wah, wah. I've got big fish to fry. I've got big stuff to do. I'm going to tell you. One nanosecond in the eternal estate and you will be utterly convinced of the need of salvation. I want you to think of Luke chapter 16. Really rich guy. He dies. He was utterly convinced but too late for salvation. For all the people that don't know Jesus, my counsel is repent and believe in Christ today and be saved. Because after they perish, after Christ comes back, it's too late. And then they will know the great benefit, the great usefulness. But for those of us who do know Christ, I would argue that we should meditate on that full orb picture what Jesus Christ our Savior has procured for us no matter what's going on in your life no matter what your life has fallen to you in beautiful places you are the saved your sins are all forgiven you're infinitely beloved you're never going to hear depart you're only going to hear come well done my son well done my daughter because of this Christ may God be pleased with the preaching of his word